Welcome to This Week in California Education, brought to you by EdSource Radio. I'm John Fensterwald. And I'm Zadie Stabley. Welcome, Zadie. Thanks. Lewis Friedberg is traveling this week, and I'm really glad you could join me. We're waiting to see whether Governor Newsom will sign the education bills on his desk, and you wrote about one this week. It would require all districts to offer full-day kindergarten in every elementary school. That's right, John, and about 19% of school districts only offer part-day kindergarten right now. We'll be back to discuss that important bill. But first, let's turn to an interesting development with potential statewide implications in Pomona Unified, which is outside Los Angeles. Last month, the school board amended its local control and accountability plan to replace several million dollars it had planned to spend on security and police officers on school campuses. The LCAP, as the plan is called, is the annual blueprint that spells out how a district plans to spend the bulk of the money it gets from the state. So instead of on cops and security, the district will spend it on elementary and high school counselors, art and music, services for foster youth, instructional aid for TK, which I know is important to you, Zadie, and all-day kindergarten. That's a big change, John. How did that happen? Well, you know, it was quite a turnaround because the school board in Pomona passed it with the security and spending in place in late June. I'd say there were several factors. There was community opposition, a lot of student voices opposing, a strong advocacy by the ACLU and public advocates, and a complaint to what's called LACO, the L.A. County Office of Education. What was their argument? Well, you know, it gets to the heart of the local control funding formula law. It awards extra money to districts based on their proportions of English learners, low-income students, homeless youth, and foster youth. The law says that districts are supposed to use the money called supplemental concentration, or S&C as they say, to increase or improve services for those students. And the law requires that school boards and superintendents actually listen to students and parents about how they think the money should be spent. So let's say there were strong differences of opinion, but let's listen to two of the people who worked hard to persuade the board to think again. I spoke with Jesus Sanchez and Iris Villapando, Jesus is a founder and executive director who runs Gente de Pomono, a nonprofit that works with parents and students in the district. Iris is a freshman at Citrus College. She graduated this year from Gary High, where she was active in the Pomona Students' Union. I asked her why she became involved in this issue of spending for the police and why it's important to her. Originally, we found out a little before LCAP was passed by the school board. Uh, The reason it was so important for us is because those funds are specifically meant for low-income foster and English learners. And so we didn't see how investing money on school officers or police officers would benefit that specific demographic. So I suppose that the reasoning behind spending all the money on security is that they're on campus to make students and parents feel safe and that a safe environment will improve learning. What do you think of that reasoning and what's been your interactions with the police and from what you can tell other students' interactions with them as well? Well, if that is their reasoning, I feel like that money should be coming out of the general fund because it is for all the students and, as you mentioned, parents and teachers. So it it just didn't make sense for me how the money that is literally meant for English learners, foster care, and low income was being used to benefit everyone when it's supposed to close the achievement gap. Did you express your opinions, you and other students, to the board about this expenditure? 
Yes. We went to the first meeting before they actually approved it to express how we didn't understand why those funds were being used on them. And at the second one where they voted five for passing the LCAP and one for no, we also expressed our concern. After that, I believe there weren't school board meetings until about a month. And once the school board meeting started up again, we would return and offer suggestions as to what those funds would better service those specific students. And what did you tell the board? How would you spend the money? For English learners, definitely creating a bridge that helps them create a connection between English and Spanish so that they're able to better understand it. Because growing up, I was able to learn English better when I had both of the languages side by side and could compare the words. As for low income, in general, just tutors, counselors, offering resources for mental health. When I went to Gary, we only had four counselors and we got to see them about twice a year for five minutes each time. They would just help you figure out your schedule for the following year. Never really talked about what do you want to grow up to be? How can we help you get the resources you need to get to where you have to go? That for sure is essential. Hey, Suze, how did you get involved in this issue? And We've been involved in the LCAP, I think, for the last three to four years. So as a staff member of Gente Organizada, we work with different social action groups. We're an intergenerational community organizing nonprofit that's based in Pomona. And our first involvement with LCAP was in partnership with our parent-led social action group, Padres Unidos de Pomona. And they started looking in to the LCAP because they didn't see any resources actually getting to their schools and specifically around English learners. So a lot of our parents have children that were trying to reclassify. As the organizer, I would send them to school and asking for different resources because we knew that SNC funds existed and they were increasing every year during this time. To my disappointment and surprise, most of the schools that I was able to visit with parents had only one service that they were offering students outside of the normal classroom experience and day. And it was an online-based service that required students to have a computer and internet access. The majority of the families that I work with don't have either. This was very discouraging and disappointing because uh, it was obvious to us that parents and students were not involved in the planning of these expenditures and these investments. Ultimately, that experience with multiple parents is what led us to get involved in the LCAP. By SNC, you mean supplemental and concentration money, right? Was it clear to you that the security money was coming out of supplemental and concentration funding? It was not clear. Initially, when we first caught this expenditure, it was grouped under, I guess, the umbrella of health and safety. On the descriptive language on the LCAP plan, you had to kind of read towards the end of the statement or paragraph to actually realize that this line item was for cops and security guards as well. The first couple of sentences were referencing nurses. So it was all kind of, I guess, grouped and jumbled together. And it was not very transparent, very different school personnel that was grouped together with very different roles. So it was not clear to us uh, initially, but we were able to see that in the LCAP. And that's when we acted. So what happened between the time that the board passed the LCAP in June and August when they reconsidered? What do you account for the change? We felt very strongly 
in what we were saying and what we believed in, not only in the students' testimonies and lived experiences, the stories that they shared with the community and the board, but also legally. So this would not have been possible without the partnership of public advocates and ACLU of Southern California. We had been partnering with them over the last couple of years on this issue, specifically when it came to cops and uh, funding the security guards. We felt that looking at LCAP um, and specific SNC regulations, that this type of expenditure was illegal. Edis made the great point earlier in that these funds are supposed to be meant for services for these three student group populations. If you're spending their funds on cops and security, are they the only ones that are going to be policed? These are questions that we raised at school board, knowing how educational funds work and how restrictive they could be. We felt that the use of these funds on cops and security was illegal and was not doing anything to close the achievement gap for these students. So because of this, we, we submitted a letter to Los Angeles County Office of Education with the support of public advocates and ACLU. And we were lucky in having LACO, I think, really acknowledge and validate some of the concerns that we outlined when LACO then contacted the district to update and revise their LCAP. What kind of signal does this send to parents? Will this empower them, do you think? Or is a message you need uh, attorneys to get something done? For parents or for students? Both. So I think this sends a message that is pretty loud and clear that youth, our young people are powerful, that their experiences are meaningful and important in making budget decisions. I think this also sends a negative message as well that unfortunately, oftentimes it's easy to ignore the voices of individuals and not every community group that's organizing has access to public advocates and ACLU. We were lucky enough to have that. And that's a privilege that I think we, we definitely acknowledge as a group of having access to those resources. Because of this, like one of, the, one of the big key next steps for us is to make sure that this is amplified and that we are seeking out communications with county and state leaders to ensure this is not happening in other school districts across the state. So, Iris, it's nearly $5 million now. Much of it will be spent on some of the things you talked about, elementary and high school counselors, arts and music, services for foster youth. Do they have the priorities right, and do you think it will make a difference? I definitely do think it'll make a difference. I'm really glad to see where the money is going, and I I look forward to seeing the impact it'll have on all the young people in Pomona. And I hope that with that, it creates a ripple through and out to the community. As I mentioned, the students and parents got some legal help from ACLU and other legal organizations. I had a chance to speak with Nicole Gon-Ochi. She's senior attorney with Public Advocates, a nonprofit law firm and advocacy organization. Public Advocates and ACLU wrote the school board and the county board of education questioning the use of supplemental and concentration dollars for police and security. I asked her why. The reason that we did that is because we don't believe that school police and security can ever make schools safer for children of color because they are inherently part of the school-to-prison pipeline that criminalizes and dehumanizes students of color, crushing their potential instead of maximizing it. And again, these are the dollars that are generated by these students of color, so they should not be used to harm them. Almost all the students at Pomona, I think it's 88%, are low-income or English learners or homeless or foster youth. So 
isn't almost any choice that you make will be spent on these students? Actually, John, the California Department of Education has ruled multiple times that having a high number of unduplicated pupils is not sufficient to justify using SNC funds in any way that you want to. And even in a high-need district like Pomona, you still need to be thinking about whether this expenditure is really designed to increase the safety, well-being, and success of these students. So a lot of districts will be wrestling with this question. So is it a is point that you can't spend it on security and police or that it has to come out of what's called the base funding as opposed to money dedicated to improving services for high-need students? Yeah, I believe that it can only come out of base services because it's really, really difficult to justify using these dollars on school police and security when there's so much research and there's so much testimony by students that these services don't make them feel more safe. In fact, they make them feel less safe and create worse educational outcomes for them. What's the message that you hope will be sent to other districts when they're reviewing their LCAVs? Because as you know, given the number of mass shootings across America, there's a almost an instinctive desire to spend money on police and on metal detectors and the like. I hope that districts across the state will look at Pomona and see how they listened to their young people and that they will also review and understand the prevailing research that shows that school police and law enforcement in schools do not actually result in safer schools for students of color. Instead, I hope that they will do what Pomona did, which is focus on using restorative justice practices, implementing positive behavioral supports, and creating school safety positions that focus on coaching kids through difficult situations. These are all appropriate uses of supplemental and concentration funds because they're designed to disrupt instead of to reinforce the school-to-prison pipeline that criminalizes the students of color that generate these funds. Well, thank you. We've been speaking with Nicole Gon-Ochi, Senior Attorney with Public Advocates. Thanks for joining us today, Nicole. Thank you so much, John. I contacted the district and a spokesman said the school board made the change after listening to stakeholders and consulting with the county office of education. As a result, the district has shifted police and security officers funding from supplemental and concentration to base funding. So, Zadie, you've heard the interviews. What do you think about what Pomona has done? Well, I think it's a really significant change, John. I have heard advocates and parents and students, high school students particularly, talk about how there are too many police officers in their schools and not enough counselors, and specifically talking about how much money is put towards police officers and how that compares to the money that's invested in counseling and restorative justice and practices that they believe would do better towards helping kids do better in school and and, and end up graduating and doing better in life. So, Zadie, let's now turn to kindergarten. There's a bill on the governor's desk that would establish all-day kindergarten. Tell us what's in the bill and why it's important. So this bill, AB 197, it was introduced by Assemblywoman Shirley Weber from San Diego, and it would require every public elementary school, district-run or charter-run, 
in California to offer at least one full day kindergarten class. And they're defining full day as as long as first grade. So right now, California only requires schools to offer part day kindergarten, which is from three to four hours long. And first grade has to be a little longer than that. I think it has to be 230 minutes. So which districts are offering it and which ones aren't? In 2017-18, about 71% of school districts were offering full-day kindergarten for all of their students. And about 10% were offering some part-day classes and some full-day classes. About 19% of school districts were only offering part-day kindergarten, only three to four-hour kindergarten classes. Every year, there are a few more school districts offering full-day. So, for example, this year, Santa Ana Unified and Capistrano Unified both just began offering full-day kindergarten in every school. And they're doing that for many different reasons. The deputy superintendent of educational services from Santa Ana Unified told me that the district chose to offer full-day kindergarten because they believe it'll help their children do better in elementary school, but also because parents were pushing for that and they are dealing with declining enrollment and they're competing with charter schools and they need to have more students going to their schools. Are these just low-income districts that aren't offering full-day kindergarten? Actually, John, it's the opposite. UC Berkeley researchers found that it's much more likely for low-income school districts to be offering full-day kindergarten and that the schools that are offering only part-day often tend to be schools with very low percentages of free and reduced-price lunch students. Well, Zadie will be following that issue in the coming weeks to see what happens. So that about wraps it up for this week's podcast. We thank our sponsors, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Our producer is Kobe McDonald. Our music is from the Nate Schwartz Jazz Orchestra. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. I'm John Fensterwald. And I'm Zadie Stabley. Thanks for joining us, Zadie. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.